Welcome to another episode of The Gospelpreneur, where we explore Bible secrets to prospering in wealth, health, relationships, and faith. Your host, Brother Andre, digs deeply into biblical science and practical applications while encouraging growth in all areas of our lives. So if you're ready to grow, let's enjoy this journey to biblical abundance. Here's Brother Andre. All right, my friends, we are ready to go. It is a privilege to be able to come and share with you today. And I'm excited about the topic we're going to cover because at the end of the day, my friends, we live in a world where it just seems like life is out of control. The world is spinning, 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 and the mental health of of us as a society is going down. And I wanted to be able to share with you some principles that would be able to give you the abundance and the mental fortitude to live in this present world and to have peace in the midst of the storm. Now, I'm going to share with you some wonderful principles and ideas, but I can't do it without the gift of God's spirit. So I'm going to ask if you're right here listening right now, and you're about to share this with a friend and you're about to dig in with me, you have your notebook and your Bible and and other things, then we're going to pray first because naturally we can't understand the deep things of God. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned and we have to submit to him as we are walking this, this path of righteousness. So let's bow our heads. Father, just want to thank you for your love and mercy, the opportunity that we have to study to meditate, to think. I ask, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit and the covering of your blood over our hearts and our minds. And teach us, Lord, how to live in this present world in a way that reflects that we know who you are. We love you, Father. Please, please, please teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so happy, happy, happy that we are able to share tonight. I am Andre, of course, the gospelpreneur. And tonight we're talking, or today we're talking about obligation, privilege, or love. Obligation, privilege, or love. Then I have subtitled The Science of Peace. Now, I, 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 I was thinking about this because there are many trials and tribulations that come our way. There are many things that come in our lives that we at some point may find frustrating and to a great degree, we want to just let go of them. And I want to show you some definitions and then show you some practical applications of how this may work. And uh, there's a wonderful Bible story that brings us out. And I'm going to go first to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And you... When you look it up online, you'll probably find the same thing. Merriam's Webster's Dictionary. We're looking at the meaning of the word obligation. Obligation. And they have in the in the top part of it, it's called essential meaning of obligation. And it says something that you must do because of a law, rule, or promise. Something that you must do because of a law, rule, or promise. And there are many things in our lives that are in our lives that way. Like there is a responsibility that must be done. I must take care of my family. I must make sure I pay the bills. I I am obligated to treat my family well. I'm obligated to treat my friends well. There's there are obligations, responsibilities, laws that we must follow. There's a red light. You are obligated to stop at that red light. There are rules in place. You must pay your taxes in a legal way, right? There, there, there's, there are rules to life that we all are obligated to keep. Second definition here says something that you must do because it is morally right. That's interesting. Something you must do because it is morally right. So it must be done. It's a law, a rule, of promise. It is morally right. This is a definition of, of obligation. Now, I want to say this to you because this word obligation carries 
a heavy, heavy, heavy load with it. It means it has to be done. It's like it, it must be done. There's no way around it. You can't skirt it in any way. It is a necessity. It must be done. What I found in the Christian walk is that if one lives simply by obligation alone, notice I said alone, if one lives by obligation alone, then it will not be long until that religious experience will either be given up or simply you turn into a zombie and you're just doing stuff, right? Because obligation alone will not give you or I any peace. Obligation alone will not give you or I any peace. So let's say the obligation to go to church, the obligation to pay tithe, the obligation to eat right and dress right, the obligation to not cheat on your spouse, the obligations like that we have, the uh, the obligations to not murder. It's an obligation. It's a moral responsibility. There's a moral responsibility, the obligation not to lie or to covet, the, the obligation not to what's another one? Honor your parents. That's an obligation. These are rules. But again, if you simply live by obligation, I promise you, your Christian experience will fizzle out fast, 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 fast. So there must be something greater than obligation. It must be tied to something else. Now, I looked up another word, and I have it right here, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, right there in essential meaning of privilege. Number one, a right or privilege that is given to some people and not to others. Well, that's interesting. A right or benefit that is given to some people and not to others. Number two, a special opportunity to do something that makes you proud. Privilege, a special opportunity to do something. Right? Number three. There's another there's a third definition here. It says somewhat formal, the advantage that wealthy and powerful people have over other people in society. I think that's more of an applied way of using using the word privilege, but I get it. So here, here's the idea. We have obligation, and then we have something that is a benefit or a right that you have that not everyone has access to or has taken advantage of privilege. So as I've been navigating, thinking about certain responsibilities that I have, certain obligations that I have, I've been asking the Lord to give me wisdom and how to deal with the multiplicity of obligations in the home, in the business, in the ministry. You know, there's so many obligations. And it was impressed upon my mind a story as I was thinking about this. And the story can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I found the story to be fascinating, you know, because when I was growing up, my favorite Bible character was David. He was my favorite Bible character. I know he's done some pretty horrible things now that I've grown up and got smart. But when I was younger, he was my favorite and he's still one of my favorite. In fact, he's one of God's favorites. That's why he's in here. Right. So in 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. I'm turning there, as you can hear. Second Samuel, first second Kings, first second Samuel. There we go. Second Samuel, chapter twenty-three, and we're looking beginning at verse number eight. And I found this story to be fascinating because from verse one to twelve, and then from verse eighteen to thirty-nine, these passages highlight characters, persons of great military might, of great uh, stories, that of, of great feats that they've done. But in the middle of verse, in the middle of the verses between verse, verses 8 to 12 and verses 18 to 31, there's a story counts right there, right in the middle. But before I get to that story, I need to tell you about these, some of these men. Now, the Bible highlights five of the 30 plus men, right? Five of the 30 plus men. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, I mean, chapter 23, verse 8, it talks about a guy named Adino. And this is in the King James. His name is Adino, he, the Eznite. 
So Adino is chief of the captains, and it's stated that he has killed 800 men at once with his spear. Now, I'm not sure. I probably need to read a different version of the Bible, but 800 men. Can you imagine one dude taking down 800? That's what he did. That's what the Bible says. He did. He took down 800 men, and he had his spear to do it. Eleazar, second guy mentioned, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 and 10, he fought alone with, with David until his hand clung to his sword. Now, I was trying to understand what do, you, what do they mean by his hand clung to his sword. In other words, you know how you hold something so tightly? Like he's, he's fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. He's fighting. I don't know how long the fight was, but he kept fighting and fighting until it seemed like the sword and his hand were one. That's how deep he was fighting. That's how, how, how long he fought. It's as if the sword and his arm became one, and he was just him and David taking folks out. These are the, the stories told of these great men. And then we have, then we have Zama, Shama. Shama, Shama. Uh, he defended a plot or a plot of barley. Uh, in some versions, barley. In the King James, it says lentils. And I love lentils. If y'all know me at all, you're going to know me as time goes on. I love me some lentils. Uh, red lentils, yellow lentils, regular lentils. I'll eat lentils. And there's a whole plot of them in, in the King James. It says that he protected this, this acres of land from the Philistine army. Uh, Stopping them from taking those lentils or the, or the barley, as some other versions say. Then Abashai, Abishai, or Abishai. He's the chief among the three. He killed 300 men with his spear. So another warrior. I mean, listen, I've grown up in relative peace here in the United States of America. So I don't know nothing about war. I've seen it on TV. You know, I've seen movies about war. But these men live this thing, and you're talking about notches on belts if you will these great warriors here mentioned in scripture and then this guy named benaya now benaya they they told several stories about him they said he slew two lion-like men he slew a lion in a pit and in the pit was a bunch of snow <laughs> so it's you know it's slippery so he's he's taking on a lion and beats the lion in the pit then he kills an egyptian with his own spear meaning that as he's fighting the egyptian the egyptian has a spear Beniah takes a stick, knocks the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. When he knocks the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, takes the spear and then kills the Egyptian. All these great feats of these great warriors taking out these men. And I read these things and I say, well, these were the type of men that made up the special forces for David. The 30 plus 37 men that were special to David, that fought with David, that were Super warriors, if you will. And these three of these men, three, the Bible's not really specific on which three. I, I can assume maybe which ones they were, but there's, there's no specificity on which three they were. But verse 13 tells a story. Now, it's in this story that we're going to gain the principles that we need in order to find peace in our experience. Now watch this. I'm going to read the story. Watch what it says. It says, And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. Now Adullam, I remember when I was younger, listening to these cassette tapes with your story hour and Bible stories on them. And I remember David at the cave of Adullam and all these men are coming and men and some women coming to David under his kingship. His mom and dad and everybody came there before he took the throne. So I remember the cave of Adullam in my mind. It says, and after, and, and, and it says, and three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphaim. Hmm. So these Philistines are pitching in the valley of Raphaim. And then it says. Now watch this. Now this is the, this is the this to me I visualize these stories and this part of the story is phenomenal. And David longed and said, "Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate." Now that's King James version, friends. I I read King James version, but the reality is David probably didn't say it that way. He probably was like, he's probably like, man. 
that water at the well in Bethlehem is amazing. I wish somebody had some water like that that I could drink. And he's probably just chilling with his friends. He's chill, he's chilling with the guards. He's just he's just relaxing. He's not really saying, he's not telling them to go do anything for him. He's just mentioning a, a, a pastime, a reminiscence of, of something that was long ago. And he he barely mentions, oh, I, I wish I had some water from the well of Bethlehem. Now, guys, I don't know if you know this, but water tastes different in different places. You know, there's there's the Kangen water. You know, there's there's Aquafina water, there's there's uh, the 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 what's the Poland Springs water? There's the tap water. There's well water. No, every different every place where you go, water tastes a little bit different. And David's like, man, I wish I had some of that Bethlehem water out of the well over there. Barely breathes it. My friends, the first point I want to make very clear to you is that when you love your king, he barely mentions that he wants something done. And you jump to it. Because that's what these men did. Man, they heard David say, I, 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 I want some water. These men jumped up. I don't know if they jumped up. I don't know what they did. But they was like, yo, 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 let's, let's go get this brother some water. Where is it at? Oh, yeah, over there. But who's in the way? <laughs> how, how are we going to get there? Don't worry. Just strap up. These guys strap up. They get their swords on. They get their hacks and their axes and their bow and arrows. I don't know what they use, but they got what they had to get. And they got their weapons. And they got up and they went to go get this water. The Bible says in verse 16, And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. Now, friend, they broke through the host of the Philistines. The garrison, now a garrison, I looked it up online, I tapped, I typed it in. What is a garrison? It's about 40,000 men in a garrison. It's about 6,000 6, horsemen in a garrison, in a fort, you know, and these men are breaking through. I don't know if it had 40,000 men. I don't know if it had 20,000. I don't know if it had 50 men, 50 versus five versus three. Come on now. Still, the Bible says that they got up. And they went to go get this water and they broke through their armies and they drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof. Now, I'll pause right there for a second. It says, my man, David, <laughs> these men went, I don't know how many they went through. I know they more, went through more than two or three or five. They went through a bunch of folks. They got the water. They bring it back. And David doesn't drink the water. Now, when I first heard the story, I was completely frustrated when I was a kid. I was like, why would this man not drink the water? And then the next part was he poured it out on the ground. I was even more frustrated. Like, what sense does that make? Why would the king, after these men did all that hard work, take the water and pour it on the ground? So let me back up. First point. They listened carefully to the king. They Whatever the king wanted, they got up and they went to do. Why did they do that? Because of their love that they had for him. The close proximity they had with David, they wanted to show their honor to him. So they go get it. They were willing to risk everything. Point number two, I want to make sure that's clear. They're willing to risk everything. You remember, you remember the story of Mary, Mary Magdalene? You know that story? And Mary Magdalene is is uh well i say mary magdalene i'm not gonna say mary magdalene. i'm gonna say mary remember the story of mary and how mary is at this feast with jesus and she with the audacity that she had took this ointment and poured it on his feet and poured it on his head wiped her wiped his feet with her tears and she's cleaning cleaning her cleaning his feet with her hair and she's it's just it seems like a hot mess and everybody's talking, but what folks don't understand is that she's had such a deep and profound relationship with Jesus that she's just she doesn't care who's around. She wants to express this love. She's been listening to Jesus. She's been listening to Jesus. 
She's heard him say that he's about to die, and she did not want to wait until his death to express her love for him, and she wanted to make sure she knew before he went to the grave. So she does all this, and, and I'm like, what radical love? You see, she felt obligated within her spirit and also knew that it was her privilege to honor her king. Notice what, what notice was making a difference. Obligation without heart conversion in love towards the, towards the one that provides the obligation will always be a drudgery. Can I say it again? If the king gives an obligation and that obligation goes against your desire, if that desire is not subdued by love, then the obligation becomes a burden, and soon no one will do the obligation. Love must be the motivation. And I say to you, you keep the Sabbath, do you truly? Do you love your neighbor as yourself, truly? Do you love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul, truly? Do we do these things simply for obligation? It said it. I'm just doing it because it said it. I'm doing it because the group is doing it. Are you religious because your group is religious? Are you spiritual because your people are spiritual? Do you dress a certain way because your group does it that way? That's not sustainable. Obligation alone is drudgery. So with obligation must come understanding enlightenment, the reasons of why. And even when the why does not suffice, the, 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 the reality of the love of the one trusting that the one making the request, the one making the desired outcome is the one that loves most or deeply. So if your wife asks you to do something, like, can you move the couch? Yes, it's your obligation because she asked you. You're the man in the house. You're supposed to move the couch, but do you do it upset? Like, you always ask me to move the couch. Why are you always asking me to move the couch? I mean, how, how do you move? You know, what spirit are you moving in? If you're moving simply because of mere obligation, your relationship's in trouble. And you must find a deeper reason, which would be, I love her because Christ loves her. And he wants to express his love for her through me. Therefore, I must open my heart up to him so that as I am a conduit of the love of God to her, I will learn to love her the way that God desires me to love her and vice versa. Right? These men were willing to risk everything. They were listening carefully. Mary was willing to give everything for Jesus. Listening carefully. Let me go a little further with this. Let me let me take it a little bit further. You remember Isaiah 58? We're talking about listening to the desires of the king, willing to risk all. Isaiah 58 highlights something that I want you to pay close attention to. If you're listening to this, you are a trooper anyway. But I want you to pay close attention to what I'm going to share with you in Isaiah 58. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So what is the transgression? What is the sin? Yet they seek me daily. Well, that seems like a good thing, doesn't it? Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. That seems like a good thing, doesn't it? As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. They like religious services. They like religious activity. They are doing things to come close to God. But God seems to have a problem with this. What's his problem? Wherefore have you fasted, say they? Wherefore have we fasted, say they? And thou hast, and thou seest us not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul? And thou takest no knowledge. We're doing all this religious activity. We're preaching and we're teaching. We're praying. We're coming to church. We're doing Sabbath. We're doing Wednesday. We're doing Tuesday. We're doing Thursday. We're doing all this, and there's no. We're still here. Watch. Behold, the Bible says about God. 
In the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate. Now, friends, when I was reading that, I was like, wait, that's the time in which we live in. I mean, right now, more amplified than ever, we debate about everything. We're debating about women's ordination. We're debating about uh, 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 the triune, whether there's a triune God or not. We're, we debate about whether there's six days, seven days in creation or not. We're, we're, there's a 6,000 years the planet is or the older. We, we, we debate about every doctrinal, theoretical information that we can debate about and friends i'm not saying that information shouldn't be understood but we're debating while the world is dying we're arguing theological terminology while the world is dying while the church is dying it's a problem whether you agree with me or not it's a problem big 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 problem here the bible highlights it Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day. So now there's a correction. The Most High comes and says there must be a correction in how we're doing things. And we're listening. Huh? Listen. We're listening to the king. We're, we're paying attention. What do you want, God? What do you want? Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day of uh, for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Now, when I read that, friends, you know, the, the picture that came to my mind was the Day of Atonement. That That's the picture that came to my mind. That's the one that riveted in my brain cells. Uh, uh, what did it say? Uh, a day to afflict his soul. That's all Leviticus 23, right? It is to bow down his head like a bulrush. It says fasting, you know, fat, that's sackcloth and ashes. And to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Wilt thou call this a fast? Now, if you're if you're a Jewish mind, you're reading this, of course that's part of fasting. You're a seven-day Adventist, you read that, of course that's part of fasting. You're a true Christian, yes, of course that's part of fasting. But God says that's not enough. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Now, the practical application of said fast looks like this. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Interesting. The fast here delineated is relational in nature. It literally is talking about loosing bands of wickedness. That's addictions. To undo heavy burdens. Well, what's, a, what's a heavy burden? There are people in the community that can't pay their bills. Right now it's wintertime. Can they pay their electric bill? Can they, can they keep the heat on in their home? There's somebody that's sick right now, can't afford to pay the hospital bill. We're talking about undoing heavy burdens. These are, these are things that cause us to fast. Now, why would this be fasting? Because then we're taking our, our eyes off of ourselves, off of our natural wants, and saying, how can I serve? How can I help? This is the fast that God has chosen. This is what would bring honor to him because he's talking. We're listening. Is this not to deal thy bread to the hungry? Whose bread to the hungry? Thy bread to the hungry. Is somebody else's bread to the hungry? No. Is Panera bread to the hungry? We can take Panera's bread if we want to, but it says thy bread. Whose bread? Our bread. That means at some level we need to be in a, in a place of abundance in order to be given bread. Does that make sense? You remember the disciples? They were, they were with Jesus, and he Jesus like, we need to feed the multitude. He's like, okay, well, Jesus, we didn't bring enough for everybody. Are we supposed to go to the store? He's like, no, we have enough here. He takes the bread from a child. Five loaves, two fish. I love that story. And he takes that five loaves and two fishes. And from those five loaves and two fishes, he feeds 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. 
He feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. From one basket with five loaves, two fishes. He's multiplying. There's an abundance there. You may look at your bank account. You may not see abundance. But, but as you start using your funds the way God says to use them, there's abundance there. You may have a house. You may say it's too small. But as you start using the house the way God says to use it, he may end up giving you another house so that you can bless more people. But I'm saying to you, my friends, it says right here, deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. That means you must have something. You must have enough to share if you're bringing them to your house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Deep. Deep. So as we're listening, he gives instruction. What's this instruction? Take care of those who don't have. Take care of those who are in bondage to sin. Take care of those who have broken homes. Take care of the fatherless and the widowless. Take care of those who don't have finances. Take care of. But Father, we only have five. We don't have nothing. We can go to the store. No, no, no. We'll take the five loaves, two fish right here. We'll multiply. God is into that, brothers and sisters. Remember the story where when, when the prophet, when the woman died and then she had bills to pay and then the prophet came and then said, what do you have in your house? He had all these jars. Take your jar and go get oil and fill it and then start filling it from one jar. Filling all the jars from one jar. <laughs> remember, God likes doing stuff like that. Remember remember the story with the woman uh, that, that, that in, in the drought with Elijah and, and, and the boy and, and, and she was about to get their final victuals together so they can eat it and die and Elijah says feed me first God likes doing stuff like that feed me first if you feed me God's going to take care of us feed me first though and feeding Elijah she was giving honor to God pay attention and feeding Elijah she was giving honor to God and feeding Elijah she was giving honor to God and in doing so, God then blesses them to never run out of oil, never run out of flour during the whole time that there was a crisis. This same God is present today. Hear me now. This same God is present today. He is the source. So listen to what he says. Hey, I want you to feed the poor. I want you to do this. He's the source. He will provide all your means that you need. These men are willing to risk all. Are you willing to risk all? Let me read something to you. This is from, from Mark. Go to the book of Mark real quickly. These men are willing to risk all. Mark chapter 10. Look at this. Mark chapter 10, and we're reading verse 28. It says, Mark chapter 10. Am I in the right place? Yes. Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 31. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So he has disciples leaving all. And what does he say? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive, what's it say, an hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Mercy. Do you see it? You see, when they were willing to risk all, they weren't necessarily thinking about the reward like Peter is. But God is saying, look, when you risk all, I'm going to honor you. When these men risked all, what did they do? When they, when, when they went through the garrison of soldiers and they got the water, they brought it back to David. And David is... is is there, David pours the water out like a drink offering. He pours it on the ground. And he says, and listen to what he says. Go, go back there with me. Go, to, go back to 2 Samuel. Let me, let me, let's, let's look at that real quick because I want you to see this. It's powerful. David says these words. Because I, when I was a child, I didn't understand what he was doing. It says at the end of 16, Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Wait a second. He's saying, look, the level of self-sacrifice, the willingness to give their life for me belongs really only to you, God. 
And so in 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 honoring these men, he gives the offering as this is as if it's unto God and gives them the highest, highest honor that could be given to a soldier. I didn't realize that when I first read the story. And so Jesus tells his disciples, look, when you honor me, I will honor you. When you proclaim my name before the men of the earth, I will honor you before my father. The highest privilege. So number one, they listen. Number two, they're willing to risk all. Number three, watch this. They were skilled and prepared for the request. They were skilled and prepared for the request. These men were great soldiers. They were mighty men. The request came in. They said, let's strap up. Let's go. Let's handle our business. Let's go handle this. Now, the question would be for you and I, what are our skills? What skills do I need to fulfill the, the request that the Father has made in regards to spreading his love in a tangible way to those who don't know him? How do I make that happen? Go to Mark. Go to Mark. Go back to Mark. Mark chapter 12. Look at this. Mark chapter 12. And we're looking carefully at verse 30 and 31. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. The Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Love the Lord with all thy heart, thy mind, and soul. This is the first commandment. This is the commandment that God gives. And the second is like unto it, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Interesting. Interesting. So what does it mean to love God with all your heart, your mind, soul? Particularly your mind. That means you exercise your mental capacity every day to understand more about who God is. About more what he requires, what he desires of you. As you do this, you put yourself in a position to be used to the greatest extent. To the greatest extent. I'm now going to read to you from the from a book called Christ Object Lessons, page 333, paragraph 1. Again, listen to the principle. It says, as the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. What do you mean, the will of man? That's, that's man's desire, what he desires to do, what he chooses to do. If that choice is placed on the side of the will of God, what God chooses, the will of man and the will of God combined, now man's will becomes omnipotent. Omnipotent simply means all-powerful. Listen now. If, now let me take this back to the words obligation and privilege. So, when someone is obligated to do something, that means there is a moral responsibility to be done, to execute whatever it is. There's a promise to execute whatever it is. If internally you do not align with that moral responsibility, that obligation will soon cease to be executed. That obligation will become a burden. That obligation will make you pharisaical, judgmental. You follow? Because the obligation is coming and it's couched in the wrong way. It's not understood in its proper light. Therefore, the obligation becomes a burden to crush out any spiritual desire or any fulfillment of the obligated responsibility. Follow? So now it is imperative that the next part be understood. Christ Object Lessons 333, paragraph 1, continues. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his, what's it say? Strength. So his strength is then provided to fulfill his command. Oftentimes the commands of God are beyond our natural ability, and therefore we must rely not on our ingenuity, not our, on our own intelligence, not on our own understanding, but upon his strength. Now, this, this, this bears in line with this idea that there's no trouble or trial that comes your way that does not first cross the desk of Jesus. 
Every trial and tribulation that comes your way first has to cross the desk of Jesus, and it must be approved. And if he approves the trial and tribulation, that means he trusts us to trust him to have the strength to endure the tribulation and to be overcomers. Are you following? In other words, the trial's not coming just because. It's not happening just because. And you'll be like, oh, but Andre, I've done this and this. This is why it's upon me. It's upon you, and God will strengthen you even in that. Even in that, his strength will come with his command. The Bible says, or the, 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 the Bible says that there is nothing. That through all things, I can be victorious in Jesus Christ. In all things, we are conquerors. In all things, we are overcomers. In all things, God's children can and will be victorious, my friends. Last part of this quote says, all his biddings are enablings. So what is his will? Are you listening to his will? Are you listening to what he desires? What does he desire? What does he desire? What does the word say? You read through, you read through Matthew 5. <laughs> it talks about how to treat your enemy. It says if, the, if your enemy slaps you in the face, turn the other one. Turn the other one. I will turn his. That's what we would say, right? If they ask you to walk one mile, walk two. What? Walk two? No, I got things to do. That's the natural man speaking. But the supernatural component of this thing is God himself working in us to do what we cannot naturally do. Therefore, my obligation becomes my privilege because the privilege is that God himself is working in and through me to accomplish what he himself has commanded. I get to have intimacy with him. I get to have oneness with him. I get to have closeness with him. That's a privilege. And when privilege is combined with obligation, it spurns or it, it not it spur it spurn it spurns the negativity that comes with, oh, do I have to do this? Do I have to go to church this week? I don't want to go feed anybody. I don't want you know, it's it gets rid of that, my friends. It becomes a privilege. What can I do to honor my king? My king said he wants some water. Let me go get him some water. My king says that he, he wants me to feed the poor. I go feed the poor. Jesus said himself, if you've done this to the least of these, thy brethren, you've done it also to me. Does he not say that? He says it. If you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, thy brethren, thy brethren, thy own flesh, if you fed the homeless, your own flesh, if you've taken care of, 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 of persons, that's your own flesh. If you've helped minister in homes to bring them together, that's your own flesh. If you've done it to them, you've done it to him. And he takes that as you honoring him. Trust me when I tell you that in heaven, there are going to be little to no books that write He's in heaven because he debated the greatest spiritualist and won. They're not going to be there. He had the great debate about the Sabbath and won the debate. It's not going to be there. I promise you that's not going to be part of it. What is your character like? You have all these great arguments, but you beat your wife. What is that? You have all these great arguments, but you neglect your children. What's that? Your soul rights but so unloving to your husband. What's that? You see, my friends, it must go beyond the theoretical ascent to information, and it must be a heart conversion that is from above. And unless that love comes in, unless you have that sweet communion, you will never know what it's like for the king to barely say, I want some water. And you're like, you know what? I'll do anything. I'll cross any ocean. I'll beat up anybody and I'll bring you back your water, Lord. He says, okay. Okay. You'll bring me back my water? Watch this. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Look at this. Matthew chapter 25. And we're looking at verse number 40. Matthew 25, verse 40, the Bible says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these thy brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto, unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting father, fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. What do you mean? Read back up. Go back up to verse number 37. 
Go actually go back up to verse number 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee or thirst and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king answered and shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done unto one of the least of these that my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Friends, now I know why God had me come back and record this again. Friends, look at this. Do you see it? I just read, I just read Matthew, which was a reflection of Isaiah 58, which was a reflection of the, these men heard David say he was thirsty, went through great lengths to make sure that they brought back water so that they can feed, give David water to drink. David pours it out unto the Lord and says, this is as if it's done unto God. And when we have the homeless, when we have the fatherless, when we have those that don't have, and then we give to them, do you know who we're giving to? We're giving back to God. This, my friends, will give us peace of heart and mind in doing service for others because now we, do, we know we're not just doing this randomly for other people. When I feed you and I give to you and I preach and I serve, this is as if I'm doing it unto God. When did we, when, when did we do this? Oh, you've done it unto least of these, my brethren. Jesus says, my brethren. He says, he didn't say thy brethren. He said, my brethren. If you've done it to my brethren, you've done it also to me. He's identified himself with us so closely. So please, my friends, I say this final movement that we're in, this final movement does include truth. Yes, you are to understand scripture, but more than that, may your actions speak louder than your words. You say you love the Lord, love your wife, love your children, love your spouse. You say you love the Lord, love those that are nearest to you, that they can see the reality of the gospel. It is easier to demonstrate this outside the home than it is inside the home. Therefore, the gospel must be demonstrated and conversion must really be had in the home. In the home. In the home. And as we do that, my friends, understand that as we're living in these last days, as we're living in the times when the world is going mad, when their obligations are being placed upon us and there's no love in any of it. That's why nobody wants to do the, the government don't love us. The government don't love us. Therefore, it's like everybody resists that. Oh, now we're going to mandate laws. and We're going to make you do this. We're going to worship on this day. You got to put this in your body. No, no, no. And that same spirit can happen in your own home, friends, where you're just dictating and telling everybody what to do and not demonstrating any love in that home to win the heart of the family. Win the heart of your home, friends. Don't just go around and just be around. Win the heart. And not everybody's going to respond to it. I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's going to respond to it. You could have done the, the best you could in your home, and people still re reject it. That's fine. My friends, put forth the utmost effort to demonstrate this love in your home. But how can you do it? The only way to do it is fellowship with the Most High. The only way to do it is fellowship with the Most High. You see, our righteousness, our goodness, our right doing, which is only relational in nature. You know, the Ten Commandments are relational. Our relationship to God and our relationship to our fellow man. If our relationships are superficial, if our relationships don't find their, their anchor in Christ, and it's merely by obligation that I'm with my family, I'm obligated, and we don't realize the privilege. We're going to neglect the family. We're going to neglect our ministry. We're going to neglect that which is most important because we feel obligated. And we're not truly understanding the privilege of the obligation that has been placed upon us. I'm going to read something to you. I have two things to read to you. Uh, and then we're, we're going to be finished with this. 
there's a quotation And in fact, I won't read the quotation. I'm gonna say the idea. And this, and you can find it in the Bible verse that I'm going that is here in Matthew. Is it Matthew? I want to say Matthew. You can find it in the Bible verse that that highlights the idea in in Matthew chapter 10. That's what I want to read. In Matthew chapter 10. And verse number 32. And while you're going to Matthew 10, 32, I actually want to read Matthew 10, verse 32. While you're going there, keep this in mind, right? Our faithfulness in demonstrating God's character in loving those near to us because if you love me you will keep my commandments he says and he says those you say you love me but can't love those you see you're not you don't really love yes that's what i wanted to read and so before i read matthew 10 32 i want to read this quote yes i, I just remember what I, exactly what i wanted to read listen listen to this friends i'm going to read it and i and it really doesn't matter where it's from I want you to hear the principle. Okay, it says we are to sit at Christ's feet as continual learners. And if we're learners, that means we're listeners, right? And to work with his gifts of faith and love. We shall then wear Christ's yoke and lift his burdens. And Christ will recognize us as one with him. Interesting. In heaven, it will be said, you are laborers together with God. Will our youth remember that without faith it is impossible to please God? And it must be faith that works by love and purifies the soul. What must faith work by? Love. What does love do? Purifies the soul. So if faith works by love and purifies the soul, then my soul no longer is in conflict with the obligation. My soul is in harmony with the obligation. Beloved, now I continue to read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us. So, so now it's going to talk about how was the love of God manifest toward us? Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that he might live through that we we might live through him here in his love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we ought also to love one another pause you get that if God so loved us. How did he love us? We didn't love him. He loved us first. He initiated love for us first. We, at the same time, were poking our finger at God. We, at the same time, were breaking God's law. We, at the same time, were in rebellion. And he loved us first. This is the love of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What do you mean? That means that your brother and sister, and your brother and sister is not only those that are saved. Your brother and sister are those that don't know God because they are all one flesh. We are all one body. We are all one human race. So this is why Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, and despitefully use you. You initiate the love. Whether you're receiving it back or not, you become the, the causation of love. This is why in relationships, if your spouse is not treating you right, it doesn't give you a right not to love them back if you say you're a believer in Jesus. You love. And you say, but how do I do that? Guess what? Your love that you have is limited. 
But the love that God has for you and your husband or you and your spouse, that's unlimited. Therefore, you must go to the source of love in order for that love to come through you to them. You have to do it that way. Otherwise, you run out. You've gone to your own source. And your source is limited. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No men have seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him. How do we know? How do we know that we dwell in him? Somebody talks about the assurance of salvation. Well, let's look at the practical fruit of this reality. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he have given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear, because fear hath torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved what? Because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God. Listen to this. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You say, but Andre, how do I hate a brother? There are six commandments that particularly talk about dealing with your brother. One of them has to do with murder. And you know you can murder with your tongue. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. All those, all those passages talk about how to love your brother. But if you hate your brother, you are a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? If you see someone broken on the streets, how is it that you can walk by and pass by and think that you love God? It's impossible. When we see brokenness in society, it should break our hearts and we should ask God, how can I help solve this problem? Well, the only way it's going to break your heart is if you spend time with the Most High. And you've heard the cry of his heart. And you're bearing his burden. Because that's his burden. He wants to break every yoke. The question is, will you allow him to use you to accomplish his great purpose? So now that obligation is not just an obligation, but it's a privilege to be a conduit of love. And it's a privilege and a benefit because you grow in the same time frame. And you grow in your love for God and your fellow men. This is the great privilege that we have. This is the great responsibility that rests upon us as his children. And that obligation, no longer a burden. You know why? Because I don't bear that burden myself. He says, my burden is easy. And my yoke is light. Please stop trying to be a Christian without Christ. Please see your obligation in light of Christ's love for you. It is in by dwelling with him that you learn to love what he loves. Last one, last one. I got to let you go. I got to let you go. got to stop. Gotta, there's another day, you know, there's a, there are other days that this we can present other things, but I got to let you go. I want to end with this quotation, Desire of Ages, page 668, because this passage, phenomenal. Life-changing, if you understand it. I suggest that you memorize it because the principles are eternal in nature. Desire of Ages 668, paragraph 3. All true obedience comes from the heart. What kind of obedience? True obedience. Obedience is simply the idea of obligation. It is an obligation. True obedience comes from the heart. So if you're going to fulfill an obligation, it must come from the heart, not just simply, I'm doing it because you told me to do it, but I really don't want to do it. Uh, in doing it in that way, you, you're not fulfilling nothing. You're wasting time. It says all true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. 
And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds in conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Mercy. Did you get that? We will so identify with him that the obligation and the impulse will be one and the same. And it will not be our, our, our natural impulse. It will be our natural impulse of a divine origin. Powerful. The wheel, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. The wheel, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. Last part. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. You know why we have stop and go obedience? You know why we have fits and stops? You know why we get crushed under the burden of trying to do right? It's because we don't know God as, as it is our privilege to know him. I say to you right now, stop trying to do good. Stop trying to do good. Somebody's going to cut that off and be like, Andre says stop trying to do good. I did. Stop trying to do good and sit with the one that is good, and he will make you be good. God, I hear nothing I just said. You know how people run around trying to chase money? Trying to chase money, chase money, chase money. Stop chasing money. Learn how to be the abundance where you are the producer of abundance, and you don't have to chase it. <laughs> stop chasing relationships. Huh? Stop, stop, stop trying to be a good husband. Stop trying to be a good wife. Stop trying to be a good child. Stop. Stop. Go sit with the one that is, and he will help you be. Start sitting with the one that is, and you will become what he speaks into your existence. That word will become flesh. It will no longer be a burden to do right. It will be a joy to do right because it will be birthed from within because the spirit of God has found its residence there. Mercy. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. And when I say the word sin, we use it such in a theological way, we misunderstand what it is. Sin is the violation of God's law. What's God's law? It's how we relate to God and how we relate to man. And how do we relate to God and man? How do we relate to man? Financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's a sin to cause disharmony in any of these facets of our lives. It's not thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not. It's not simply that. It is deeper. But guess what? When we spend our time with the Most High, He reveals to us the secret of that fellowship. And in that fellowship, sin becomes hateful. No longer do we accept separation in our relationship with God, and no longer do we accept separation in our relationship with our fellow men. This is something that will become hateful to us. We want unity, oneness, wholeness, and that comes from fellowship with the Most High. My friends, I hope you're getting it. I hope you got it. David barely whispered, I'm thirsty. And these men got up with all the love in their heart and went to fight with all the gusto that they had and all the honor and all the obligation. And they went in there and got that water, brought it back. And David said, I can't drink this. <laughs> I'm not worthy to drink. This is water worthy for God himself. That type of love relationship is a type of love relationship that God's children will have in the last days where he's asked for something, he barely whispers it, and they're willing to go 1,000% for him. And that does not come by a manufactured, hyped-up sermon that comes by deep, quiet fellowship with the Most High. I encourage you, friends, while there's time, 
Find that solitude with him. Find that peace with him. By your heads, Father in heaven, as we're closing, we ask for the gift of your spirit to rest upon anyone that's listened all the way through. Anyone that's listened even partway, I ask that you convict the mind and bring them back. I ask, Father, that you help people share this if they find it beneficial. I ask, Father, that this somehow digitally find its way to places where it would never have gone before. We need, we need you, Father. We need to know you. We need to love you. We don't know how. Show us how to fellowship. Show us how to pray. Show us how to sit still, to know that you are God. And work your supernatural work in us. Where no longer it's a, I have to, but it's, I get to. Not only I get to, but it's done. Please. You know me. You know the brokenness of what I am. And you probably know the broken, you know, I know you know the brokenness of other people that are listening. Please help us. We have no other place to go. We love you, Father. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as this is completed, I encourage you, listen, if you find this to be a blessing, like it, share it, listen to it again, go back and listen to it again, apply the principles in your life. I, I, I encourage you, spend time in your words, spend time in the Bible, asking God to reveal to you himself that you will learn to love what he loves and reflect the passion for what he loves and give you the, 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 the resources to accomplish the great feat that he's asking us to accomplish in these last days. God bless you. Until next time. This concludes another episode of The Gospelpreneur. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends so we can all grow together. Until next time, be the abundance and be blessed.